0: Thanks for joining us for episode 14 of the Marketing AI Show. Before we get started, I want to take a moment to tell you about our show sponsor, Market Muse. Market Muse Suite, an AI-powered content intelligence and strategy platform, analyzes millions of articles on demand, uncovering gaps and opportunities for better content. Imagine an on-demand content audit that automatically identifies your best and worst pages, content with high ROI potential, quick wins, at risk pages, and more. Market Muse uses AI to accelerate content planning, creation, and optimization. So you can build authority on your topics. Get started for free today at marketmuse.com. And I can personally attest to Market Muse. We actually use Market Muse at Marketing AI Institute. Now onto the show. I am joined today by Mike Kaput. Mike is our chief content officer and my co-author for our upcoming book, Marketing, Artificial Intelligence, AI, Marketing, and the Future of Business. See the link in the show notes. Welcome to the show, Mike.
1: Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. I'm super excited for this format, for the conversation.
0: It should be fun. So this is um, this is the first time Mike and I are doing the podcast together. So Mike and I go back. What time? What year did you start at the agency, Mike? Oh uh, nine. Yeah, uh, it was like
1: uh, 11, 12. Two thousand eleven. To... Yep. So
0: yeah. So Mike's background, real quick. But he, journalist by trade. So I too, like for anybody who's not familiar with my background, I, I actually started out of journalism school, worked at an agency for five years, started my own agency. Um, in the process, started the AI Institute. Actually, Mike, so I uh, might as well tell this story. I guess we might as well set this up and then I'll come back to like, <laughs> why we're doing this together. So, I started PR 2020 in 2005, which became HubSpot's first partner agency. Um, And then we really kind of built the agency on the back of that. So tons of marketing automation, marketing technology, inbound marketing. Mike joins in 2011 as what a content specialist, I think was the term. Yeah, yeah, like an
1: editorial consultant, basically just um, focused more just on helping you guys with content marketing because I did not have a uh, kind of traditional marketing background at that point.
0: Right, Nick, and that's, I mean, retrospect, I, my, my years may be off by one or two here, but that's around when Joe Polizzi starts Content Marketing Institute. So like content marketing is becoming a thing. We're doing a lot of content creation as an agency. Mike comes in to sort of spearhead a ton of the content creation and evolves into being like one of our top strategists. And the real key becomes, you know, I get this curiosity right around that same time, It's 2011 was I started studying AI, right after I wrote the first book, The Marketing Agency Blueprint. And so I started spending a lot of time researching AI, write the second book in 2014. um, And in that book, there is a small section about artificial intelligence. It was the first time I ever publicly wrote about or talked about any of the work I was doing. And Mike helped me do the research for that section. So it kind of piqued Mike's curiosity, I think. I don't know that you had been doing too much of that prior to that, but gets Mike involved. And all of a sudden, like Mike and I just start talking about AI all the time. And so it became just sort of the happy hour thing we would do. We would chit chat about AI and, and eventually we're like, well, what, what do we do with this? Like, we're both kind of geeky about it, but like, does anybody else care about this topic? <laughs> and so I think, you know, one of those like, you know, open office hours kind of thing, we're just talking and it's like, well, why don't we start a blog? Like just start writing about this. And and that kind of became, the origin of what today is the Marketing AI Institute and spun into you know the Marketing AI Conference and the book we just wrote and all these other things really just organically happened because we were curious about artificial intelligence. So I mean, that's kind of like the, the yeah. two-minute version of the origin <laughs> of all of this. So the the idea is like when we launched the Marketing AI Show, the concept was for me to just interview really fascinating people, and we've done that. So for thirteen episodes. We had incredible conversations with Cade Metz of the New York Times and Karen Howe of MIT Tech Review, who just recently moved over to the Wall Street Journal, uh, Matthew Sweezy at Salesforce, Christy Olson at Microsoft, Andrea Brimmer, CMO at Ally, just like incredible interviews. And we have every intention of continuing down that path. And we have some amazing uh, interviews lined up and that are going coming this summer and into the, um, you know, throughout this year, basically. So that format is going to continue. I'll still be doing interviews. We'll still have these amazing guests. But what we figured out is like Mike and I just constantly have these fascinating conversations. Like something happens in AI and I'll turn to Mike or Mike, you know, somebody having a Michael turn to me and it's like, dude, what do you think, man? Like that, that's crazy, right? Like, like we'll look at something and send, we send, you know, Mike's written, what do you think? Eight, 800 articles or more on AI. Like
1: there's <laughs> yeah, very few yeah. people in
0: the world that have like from a business and marketing perspective, spent the time thinking about AI that we have collectively. And so We're not the people building the AI, like we're not the ones that tell you how to structure your data and how to do the machine learning models. Like, But we're really good at looking at opportunities to to, where AI can drive efficiencies in businesses, where it can create opportunities in your career. And so we just talk about this stuff all the time. So the idea behind this was like, well, what if just once a week, we just kind of talk, like pick one or two or three big things from the week that sort of caught our our attention. And then like, have this conversation, but then explain to people why it matters to them. And so that's what this format's going to be. And again, like our, our intention is weekly. Um, you know, we're going to do our best to hold ourselves to that, but you know, last week we've, we've had this idea for about a month now. And last week something happened where I was like, okay, this is, this, this is the starting point. We are, we're doing this podcast and it's starting now. So the, the, basically what happened is, um, Mike and I have a sandbox of things that we could talk about. And then out of nowhere, I read a tweet and I was like, this is it. Like, I, I just want to talk to somebody about this. And I was at home, when I saw this tweet last week, and, um, I remember sitting there, like, I have to say something like I, I have to talk about this. I have to write about this. Like, I don't know what to do, but if I write a blog post, it's never going to happen like that. It'll be two months and I won't have written the blog post. So I was like, okay, well maybe I'll do one of those like LinkedIn selfie videos, which I've never done. And I, I'm just, it's just not my style. Maybe I'll try one. Maybe I'll do one to promote this series. I don't know. But, um, it wasn't anything. So I go downstairs and I talked to my wife and I was like, okay, you probably don't care about this, but I'm gonna explain this to you. I'm gonna read this tweet. To you. I'm gonna explain why this is this matters. She's an artist. So that will matter in a minute. I'll come back around to why, it matters to my wife. Um, and I was like, I don't know what to do. And she's like, What well, sounds cool. Like you should do something. I was like, yeah, okay. So then I reached out to Mike. I was like, I think I have a first podcast episode for us to do together. So here we are. This, this tweet occurs. I reach out to Mike. I'm like, okay, let's, let's just do this. We're just going to talk about this topic because there's so many things to it. And to be honest, like Mike and I did a little prep for this but this is more of one of those topics when we tell you the tweet and then explain the context, you'll realize why why it's just something that needs to be talked about. There needs to be more conversations around this topic happening and they're not happening. Um, And I think innovations are going to sneak up on people really quickly that are gonna change businesses, industries, and they're gonna affect your career. Whether you're an individual practitioner, you're an intern, maybe you're a student listening, or maybe you're the CMO. It's coming, <laughs> it's coming faster than we thought. So that's kind of teeing it up. I'll, I'll get to the tweet in a minute, but I think to, to make sure the tweet resonates with you the way I think it should, let's take a step back, Mike, and talk about a, a couple of key components. First is open AI. So if if you're not familiar with OpenAI, it's an organization created, I think it was 2016, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. Elon Musk, was it, is, does that sound right? 2016. Yeah. yeah. So Elon Musk and a few other people fund the building of this OpenAI Institute, uh, well, not an institute, but OpenAI. Um, the, the leader of it is Sam Altman, who used to be the president of Y Combinator. So Sam comes in with Elon and a few other people and they create this. Now the concept behind OpenAI was at the time, so 2015, 2016, we're like three years into the deep learning movement. So a lot of the capabilities in language and vision AI, so the things you experience every day, where Gmail finishes your sentences and Apple unlocks the phone with your face, and you know Facebook recognizes people in your photos you upload, and all these things where your your, your computer vision is coming into play and the ability to understand and generate language, like uh, voice assistance and things like that. <clears throat> that's all like three years old at this point. Like the, the, the breakthroughs in that technology had just basically happened. And so there was a land grab for talent. So like Google, Microsoft, Amazon, NVIDIA, Salesforce, like all these people are, are uh, Facebook racing to hire all the AI researchers, like the best of the best to build out research labs within their organizations. And in essence, then take all the innovation and keep it within the walls of those organizations until they figure out how to monetize it. Open AI comes along and says, no, 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 we're gonna we're going to open source, in essence, the AI innovation. We're going to push the limits of what AI is possible, capable of, and then we're going to release it. We'll open these models up and we'll let people innovate on top of it. So that's the core concept, but their mission is artificial general intelligence. So if you're not familiar with artificial general intelligence, what we have today, all the applications of AI in your life from Gmail, to Google Maps, to Netflix, to Spotify, to Amazon predicting purchase, all these ways AI is used is what's called narrow intelligence. It's specifically trained to do specific things. General intelligence is ability to do multiple things, to achieve multiple outcomes without having to necessarily be told how to do it. It can actually function more at a human level of intelligence. So, there's debate about will we get there? How quickly will we get there? All these things, but organizations like open AI and DeepMind within Google have stated missions to get us there, to get machines, to be as smart as humans, which obviously has some significant effects. Now to get there, there is a belief that intelligence as we know it, human intelligence, what makes us different from animals is things like language in particular. And the ability to see and understand the world around us vision. So the reason these organizations in large part work on these innovations and why they try and create machines that understand and generate language is because they're trying to create advanced intelligence, general intelligence. So when you hear about advancements like GPT three, which is embedded in dozens or hundreds of marketing tools that write copy, you know, different things you hear about writing social posts and things like that, ad copy, Um, Or you hear about things like Dolly 2, which I'm going to let Mike talk about in a moment here. These advancements are being achieved because there are really smart people at really financially strong organizations who are waking up every day, trying to build intelligence into machines, advanced intelligence. And they need to, they need to reach certain levels of language understanding and generation and vision. They they need to give the machine these things, these human-like abilities. Um, That's a belief. Again, not everyone in the AI deep learning community believes that language is necessary to general intelligence, but the prevailing understanding that we have from finding the space is the majority of people seem to believe that AI is uh, to get to general talent, you, you have to have machines that can generate language. So as marketers, this obviously matters dramatically. So what we do is generate language. We, we read things, we write things, we create imagery. Um, and so it has a massive effect. And so Mike and I back in 2015 asked this question, like, well, can AI write content? Like, can it write blog posts for us? And the answer in 2015 was no, like we thought maybe, but the answer was no. So to, I'm gonna come back again to the the tweet that sort of changed everything for me a little bit and how I think about this and how I wanna talk about this. Um, but Mike, why don't you take a moment and talk to us about Dolly2 and what happened back, it was April 6th or 7th, OpenAI introduced Dolly2, um, which was sort of the first domino and what led to this podcast today.
1: Yeah, for sure. So Dolly Two—that if you want to spell it, it's got a weird spelling. It's D A L L Dash E, and then the number two. And that's like you'll get kind of a clue as to what this does by uh, the description of why that's the name. It's a combo of the artist Salvador Dali and Wall-E, the Pixar uh, or Disney robot a good in movie. a fictional movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. It's like
0: no talking for the first forty-five minutes, but it's a really good movie. <laughs>
1: So what Dolly2 does is, and this is just mind-blowing, like it it sounds straightforward, but when you actually see uh, what this looks like, you're gonna be pretty impressed, I think. So Dolly2 is AI that automatically creates original art and imagery based on natural language prompts. And what that means is you literally pull up Dolly2, you type in anything, show me a picture of... their example is show me an astronaut lounging in a tropical resort in space and do it in a photorealistic style. And within a few minutes, the AI will produce the image that you described in the style you described. And if you go to openai.com, it's the main, if not the only thing right now on their site, um, check out the examples because they're stunning. They're incredible. Um, and they're it, original.
0: That the key here is they're not scraping an astronaut and scraping the moon, and like you are not mashing together a bunch of existing images from a bunch of train. It's it's creating, which yes. again we just wrote the book, and I was like creativity is <laughs> still human domain, and now I'm like questioning, did yeah you know, did it happen? But.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so the cool thing is this is the two indicates this is the second iteration of this system, and OpenAI has made it just stunningly more powerful than the previous ones and uh like i said the results are incredible it also has pretty incredible and i think this is an underrated part of it editing capabilities so if you tell it hey edit the flamingo out of the background of this image it will go do it and it looks based on the examples really really good so that's at a high level i don't want to like ruin the whole uh the whole reveal here, but that just know that AI can create photorealistic art or original art and imagery in almost any style you want.
0: Now it, it is not readily available. So if you're a graphic designer, illustrator, whatever, and you're like, Oh my gosh, like I got to, I have to go test this. You can't, you can get on the wait list, but within like the first 24 to 48 hours, there was over a hundred thousand people on the wait list. So I, I put in to get on the wait list. So right now they've rolled it out to some le- select friends and researchers. And I, I don't know how they've chosen who's gotten it. But if you follow on Twitter, like the hashtag, there are people who have access to this, who are creating things Mm -hmm. and they're sharing the things they're creating. And it does sound like they have every intention of making this an available tool later this year. So April 7th happens or whatever day that was, I actually have the the tweet up. Yeah. So, uh, April 6th, 2022 OpenAI tweets, our newest system, Dolly 2 can create realistic images and art from a description in natural language, see it here. So I have an AI list, it's actually public, the Twitter list, we'll put it in the show notes. So I it's like a hundred AI people and there, researchers, entrepreneurs. So basically when something happens in AI and I'm not sure what to make of it, or like I was like, wow, this seems like a huge deal. I'll go to that list and see if they're talking about it. And if so, what they're saying. And it was one of those days where Within minutes, that list starts blowing up with Dolly 2 stuff. It's like, oh, okay, like this, this was a big deal. Uh, so I immediately look at it and I say, like, wait a second. Like what, what happens if you're a graphic designer or an illustrator? Like, again, go back to my wife is an artist. Now she's not a graphic designer and she doesn't do too many illustrations. But like, we've had conversations about, should we do an illustrate, like a children's book someday? Like I'll write it my, with my daughter and and then her and my daughter will illustrate together. Like it's quite cool It's like, well, do we? Do we need to do that now? Like, can we just feed the story to Dolly 2 and it'll illustrate the book for us? Like, is that where we're now at? So Mike and I go you know, back to April 7th, we're just saying like, well, what does this mean? Like wh- how, how, if you're a graphic design agency, do you, do you have a job in six months? Like we always tell people that our general feeling is AI will have a net positive impact on jobs and the economy that more jobs will eventually be created by ai but that ai is largely going to take tasks away in the near term it's going to do specific tasks better than you like maybe editing out the flamingo like it, but that's not new like if you have filters on like instagram and stuff like i think you have the ability to like edit stuff out of that that's magic like it feels like magic but that's not new generative from the beginning from from a description is new so for the last like month almost you know full month in the back of our minds has been this, like, what, what, what does this mean? And then there's like GPT-3, which is language generation, which just keeps happening. And so as we're finishing up the book, again, which comes out in June, as we're planning our marketing AI conference, which happens at the beginning of August in, in Cleveland, and we're thinking about the agenda, these sorts of things are running through my mind. It's like, well, where are we at? Like, we didn't think AI could do what we do, but... Should we take a step back here? So that's what's going through my mind. And then on April 28th, this dude, Philip Isola, who I don't know, the, the the AI algorithm of Twitter, which surfaces things that it thinks I would like on my homepage or in my search, which AI is one of the categories, pops up this Philip Isola guy. I've never, never heard of the guy before for this moment. So I don't click on his profile. All I read is the tweet. And it says, back in 2018 at OpenAI, a few of us wrote a story with GPT. So this is the original, not GPT-3. This is the predecessor to two generations ago. Wrote a story with GPT as an AI, quote, co-author. We didn't have an AI illustrator back then, but now we sort of do. So I tried plugging the text into Dolly. Here is the result. The bees quotes, which is the title of the story, the poem, is a short story by humans and AIs. And then he links to the story. So now, again, we'll put this in the show notes. So all the images in the tweet is the bees, the title, and then an illustration that obviously Dolly created with the first passage from the story. So I don't click on the story yet. I have not actually gone and read the story. Scroll down his next reply right after that. I think we are in for a very interesting future of creative expression. To me, these tools do change things. Something is lost and something is gained. I really enjoyed making this, but also feel the pain that certain parts of this creative process are no longer uniquely human. That was the point where I was like, oh my God, like I I just... Stopped. Like I, I sort of screwed back from my computer and I reread that line a couple of times. Something is lost and something is gained. And it's a it's like this feeling I've had many times throughout the years. Like I remember, Mike, you were there for Angela Pham's keynote. She worked at Facebook. She yeah. still works at Facebook, I believe. She did a keynote on at our first marketing ad conference in 2019, and she talked about this: the loss of humanity as AI gets better and better, how a friend of hers who wrote in broken English, all of a sudden started writing like perfect emails. And she realized that he was using smart compose and like finishing, it was finishing his sentences for him. And she said, it was like, it was like a piece of him. Wasn't there anymore. Like this wasn't him writing to her now it was, it was the machine and him. And so like There's been a few times in the last few years where I've had that feeling, but I've, I've struggled to explain to professionals, to like writers, designers, business people, whoever, whatever your social media people, advertising people like who don't care about AI, who aren't following it yet, how to make them care. And that line just kept coming back to me of like, that's, what's going to happen. Like whatever your career is, whatever industry you're in, you're going to lose a piece of what you do and who you are, especially if the job is a true career for you and it's defining for you. Like it is who you, it's part of who you are. It's how you get fulfillment in life. You're going to lose aspects of that. The question is, what do you gain though? And when does this happen? So I want to come back to that, Mike, and get your thoughts, but I know you wanted to to actually read the poem. So why don't you go and like, again, kind of like, keep filling in the blanks here for people, but why don't we take a step back and like, okay, now read the poem. Now you know where this goes, let's listen to the actual story.
1: Sure, and it's super short and I want to read it for a very specific reason, which I'll tell you at the end. So here it is very quickly. Once upon a time, there was a beehive that produced the most delicious and most golden honey in the entire universe. But lately, something strange had been happening. The bees had been sleeping long past the usual end of their winter slumber. And by the time they wake up, there is not a single flower left in the forest, except the flowers of an extremely spicy pepper plant. They found out someone was drugging them. Oh my, drug bees is the most hilarious spectacle to watch. Their buzzing orchestra was completely off key, and the bees dancing was crazier than ever. But oh, how did they dance? There was so much dancing that you couldn't make it out. It was like they had a life of their own. And in some mysterious way, they were happy, the end. And the reason I wanted to read that is because, of course, there's like some weird language in there. There's some that doesn't make sense. Um, There's some just strange sentence construction. But I got to the end of it, and I kind of felt like I felt just like a little tinge of like, I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool little story. It's probably no more nonsensical than your average kid's book, to be honest. Uh, Um, Poetry, I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, right. I love poetry.
0: I wrote poetry in college, but half of it doesn't make any sense.
1: So it's one of those things where I was like, wait, I just felt like a very small, like I felt something from this. And I don't always know why. And I don't know if what I felt was because of what the human wrote or what the machine wrote. And so look, I'm not going to like, overly critique this story but it's like you're reading this you're seeing drawings that look exactly like illustrations in a children's book that were generated by Dolly too and I kind of just got to the end and was like it doesn't really matter who did what what matters is like like can you say this is not art when you get to the end of it like just because a machine did it so what it made me feel a little something it was visually appealing Isn't that a piece of art? And I think at that moment I was like, "Oh, this is really going to change a lot of people's definitions about what things are." And it's easy to laugh off, right? You say like, "Okay, machine did it. They can't do it the same way as humans." But it's like that's simply no longer true.
0: And I I don't think I said this so. Philip, who I didn't know, is an associate professor at MIT and. He's spent time as a visiting research scientist at OpenAI um, from 2017 to 2018. So that's kind of his background. But so, you know, I read this, I, I, I try and figure out what do I do with this information? I wrote down what is lost and what is gained and when, question mark. And what I realized is it is the fundamental question every one of us needs to be asking of our of our chosen career path <laughs> and and potentially of our businesses. So me as an entrepreneur, as a writer by trade, um, as you know, I do, I am still heavily involved in the marketing of the business, like, you know, marketing strategy and, and, and what we do there. And it's just like, you look at those things and you say, but what, is, what does my career look like? So I'll, I'll bring it down another level so it's not as abstract. If I'm a writer, you know, in three to five years, like right now, language AI is moving faster than Moore's law. Like I, just this morning, we'll put this a, meta AI introduced an open source version of something basically as powerful as GPT-3, if not more powerful, except they're going to open it up to everybody. Well, right now, researchers. So if you're a research institute, you'll be able to get access immediately, I think, to the GPT-3 tool that Meta has built where GPT-3 is being commercialized. So it's being kind of put up, this is being designed for researchers to work on, but that two years ago would have cost millions of dollars to build or get access to. And now it's just like a free tool. So the accessibility and the capability of language generation is moving so fast that there's no way Mike or I could sit here and predict where it's gonna go. Like if you would have asked people in the industry six months ago, do you, when do you think we'll get to a point where a machine can generate original illustrations and artwork from a text description? I mean, maybe there's a handful of AI researchers that I don't hear from very often that would have guessed sometime this year, but my guess is they probably would have said maybe in the next decade, that yeah, five, I, five to 10 years.
1: Like, I, I saw someone in the industry tweeting the morning of Dolly Two's announcement, something to the effect of between DALI two announced this week and also in the last week or two, the further developments in language models, it's a real tough month for people that say machine learning has hit a wall.
0: Or that it's only for repetitive data driven tasks, or that it's not yeah. going to affect creatives. So, what is lost, what is gained, and when? It's like, there's so many people who just don't care. Like, don't follow what's going on in AI. Think, ah, uh, whatever. It's just the next trend. I'll worry about it in three years, five years. And we've said this line over and over again. It's like this, it changes everything. And, and it's like a really hard macro level idea to get people to care about, but it truly does from a career perspective. And again, creativity is one of the things that I, I thought was uniquely human. I, I still, I mean, I still want to say it's uniquely human, that what AI does isn't the same. But it it the lines are getting blurred. Like I I think I I wrote a passage in in the marketing artificial intelligence book that's coming out, something about like, because I was actually using Google DeepMind and AlphaGo as the example, whether or not AlphaGo was creative and its moves against the world Go champion. And I said this story, but like basically, like, okay, if you if you try and if you try and get a machine to create an image, like does it, and it's of an image of a dog. When, when we do that as humans, like you understand dogs, you you've had a dog, you have a personal connection to dogs, you understand their emotions and why they bark. And like, it's like we have a human understanding of a dog. A machine doesn't have that. A machine just sees pixels. It like generates things through math. Like it doesn't experience and create in the same way we do. Like it's, if, you, if a machine creates music, it doesn't have a life of experiences and pain and joy and like all the human emotions that go into human generated music, but to the ear, can you tell the difference? Like, can it, can it learn? So is it actually creative? What what I I think I'm saying in the book is it's not creative like we are, but I don't know. You can say it's not creative. Like, and now you look at this, it's like, well, how could you possibly say that's not creative? Like, it's just how you define creativity, I guess, that becomes the, the
1: key for sure. Yeah, it's one of those things where I think you really hit the nail on the head. It's what what is surprising about this isn't necessarily just the fact that a machine can create art or that a machine can generate language. It's the question of, okay, you can sit there and turn your nose up at math-driven art or machine-driven art, but does it matter? And this technology and the rapid development of it doesn't really care about our feelings uh, what, of what is and isn't possible. At the end of the day, if you read a perfect article or see a piece of art that moves you, I mean, you don't know anything about the human that wrote it or their experiences a lot of times, unless it's a very famous artist or author. Yet, it's the power of the actual outcome, the deliverable, the product, that is what moves you or gives you ideas or excites you. And we're very rapidly getting to a point where it's like, people are going to ask, like, what is the difference? Who cares if if the machine wrote it, if it achieves the same effect, right? And I think that's where we're going to get to really, really murky territory.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I guess the whole point of this episode, for the people that are curious for the people that are already paying attention. And maybe, maybe you weren't before this, maybe this is the first time you're ever really given a, you know, care about AI for some of you've heard from us and things like that. I think what I'm, I'm trying to say is humanity is gonna like, things are going to change and it's not always going to be comfortable, but it's sort of inevitable. So this technology is going to race forward. Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Nvidia, Baidu, like the the Oracle, Adobe, like all these companies are racing to build more advanced language and vision AI capabilities, trying to hire as many people as they can to create this stuff and move as quick as possible. So as as a business person, as a professional, as an artist, as a creator, you don't get a say in this. The technology is going to be created and it's going to advance. All I think we can do is accept it. I'm not saying you have to necessarily embrace it, but you have to accept that the change is coming and it's gonna be coming faster and faster. And going back to that question of what will we lose, what will we gain and when? If you're willing to constantly ask that question, because again, it changes. Like I, if I was a graphic designer illustrator, I would not have thought I may lose the need to create original works that that maybe the machine does that. And then I curate and edit it. Like, I, I don't know, like, I don't know what an illustrator, how this affects it. I, I, it's not my world, but I, I think about it. Um, but to ask those questions and then say, but, so what's the opportunity? Like, okay, I run an agency that writes blog posts. 90% of our revenue comes from blog post writing. I run a graphic design studio that, you know, Build logos and corporate collateral, or I'm an illustrator for books and things like that. If you're constantly asking this question, and then the next question is, okay, so what's the opportunity? If Dolly Two can do this, what's OpenAI's plans? Okay, they're going to release it later this year. Okay, how do I get there first? And like Gary V, I'm not like a huge Gary V guy. I'm not up here like you know shouting out Gary V for everything. Like <laughs> I think he's great. I mean. God bless the guy, like he has made, like he's just genius. He works his ass off. He deserves everything he gets. Um, This is the kind of thing where it's like, he's always at the forefront. I'm not saying be Gary V on this. What I'm saying is your industry is going to get disrupted. What you do today, someone else is gonna find a smarter way to do it with better technology. But if you're constantly asking yourself those questions, what will we lose, what will we gain when, and then what is the opportunity then you can actually get out ahead of this stuff and maybe live a fuller life, have a better career. So I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like my, I'm just sort of like big picture what I I probably wanted to say when I first read it. So I (laughs) don't know, Mike, if you have any additional thoughts on that topic.
1: No, I couldn't agree more. And I think as people wrap their heads around this, as they look forward to the opportunities, I think Sam Altman, OpenAI CEO, had these two quotes that I pulled out of the initial long form post he wrote about DALI 2, describing it, what their plans were for it. And the first quote is, quote, a decade ago, the conventional wisdom was that AI would first impact physical labor and then cognitive labor, and then maybe someday it could do creative work. It now looks like it's going to go in the opposite order. And I think that's super interesting because one, not to scare creative people, but the fact, the bigger point that even the people at the forefront of, this, of these developments are not able to see into the future. It is outpacing some of the smartest people in the industry, even the ones making it, which means it's going to be a very strange and very unknowable or uncertain future. So it's like these exp- thought experiments aren't just thought experiments. They're critical to start trying to figure out what's coming next and how it's going to affect you. And then I think this is where I really saw the opportunity is that later in the post, he said, this, you know, the technology is quote, it's an example of a world in which good ideas are the limit for what we can do, not specific skills. And I think that's really what I sometimes see as like a marketer, sometimes creator is I don't have a ton of design background. I don't have a ton of visual background. But, you know, if I had a designer sitting across from me right now, I could really like vaguely describe like, okay, here's kind of what I'm thinking for the art on this blog post or ebook or report. It's like this, this, and this, and like kind of like this other thing in this other style. And the designer would hopefully listen, have some really good creative ideas and then use their skills to go create that for me. I can do that with technology like Dolly too and for me that's super exciting because I'm like oh my god I have all these cool ideas like for every one of our blog posts like I've never been I mean like you said we've done 800 blog posts I've never been more sick of stock art in my life like we do I think a pretty good job of trying to select some really engaging imagery but if you're a stock art site there's no point like you're you might want to start thinking about this. So it's yeah. just one of those things where I get excited about the opportunity, but my opportunity, the thing I gain actually may end up in parallel being someone else's loss. Exactly.
0: That's, there's always a balance. And you know, as you were talking, I was even thinking, and I don't, I mean, I'm going to go down this <laughs> on this episode, but so like my daughter who's 10, Like she wants to be an artist like her mom and she's amazing already at it. And I can see her wanting to do illustrations and things like that. Like if I were to show her this technology right now and say, Hey, you know, you love unicorns. Like let's make a unicorn dancing on rainbows. Like she has a song for unicorns dancing on rainbows and it does it in front of her eyes. What does that do to her? Does that demotivate her to be like, well, what does it need? What does the world need me as an artist for? If I can just ask a machine to do it. I have no idea what the answer to that is. I'm just actually like, I'm starting to kind of like process this idea of like, this isn't because you got to you gotta understand like if, again, if you don't know me and Mike, you don't know the institute. We are not all about AI for a bunch of hacks and shortcuts and cost savings. That is not what we teach this for. The tagline of the conference was "More Intelligent, More Human." What we were trying to find is what are the ways AI can make us more human? How does it free us up to? do things like strategy and creativity and use empathy. And, you know, the things that are really hard to give to a machine, if not impossible, how does it free us up to actually live more fulfilled lives in a way, like at a very high level. So I tend to think about things at these different levels of, okay, professional first, higher education. If I'm, if I'm a professor of graphic design and this comes out in the fall, what in the world am I gonna tell my students? And then I think about the next generation. Who are right now are inspired to be creatives and to to do many of the things that by the time honestly they're in the working world, they probably aren't going to need to do. Um, I mean, my daughter is 11 years, like mm. I can't even fathom the the, the innovation. Like, again, deep learning as an, a capability in language and vision, all these things we use, was basically 2011, 2012 was the tipping point. 10 years ago, what happens in 10 more years? Like, The innovation is gonna be a hundred times as powerful as what we see today. So I I think like, I don't know, I'll probably wrap this episode, like again, with no like real profound, like, okay, here's how to solve this. Again, I I think the call to action is just think about that. What will we lose? What will we gain and when? For for you, for your business, for your career, personally, um, because we don't have the answers. And I think our whole thing is we're trying to build a community of people who are asking the hard questions. And maybe collectively, we start to find some really interesting answers. If nothing else, we get a bunch of people that care about using AI for good, working in the same direction. Um, because we're again, we're not the ones building it, so we can't change the way they build it per se. But enough voices that are trying to, you know, get brands and and tech companies to think about these things as they're building it um, can only do positive for the industry. For
1: sure.
0: All right. Well, hopefully this was interesting to you. Hopefully you will join Mike and I again. Um, again, like we're going to try and do this every week. We, um, we, we hope you'll join us, check the show notes. We kind of talked about a lot of things we'll go through and put all the links to everything in the show notes. Um, this gets published on the marketing Institute blog. So, I mean, it's on all podcast um, networks, but we always post a summary on the blog. So if you want jump on the Institute, uh, marketingaiinstitute.com and subscribe to the newsletter um, yeah. And, you know, we hope you keep listening to the podcast They're 14 episodes in and we're planning to do a lot more. So, uh, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, Mike and I are both yeah. pretty good about responding on LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn and Twitter, I'm, I'm pretty good at both of those. So we'd love to hear from you. You know, if you love the show, don't love the show, whatever, whatever we can do to make it better. So thank you, Mike. It was enjoyable doing this for the first time, not standing around the coffee machine. <laughs> actually, so like sure. put a mic in front of us.
1: <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, we can actually, uh, instead of us just coming up with a bunch of ideas, we can actually share them with others.
0: <laughs> we'll crowdsource stuff. Like here's something <laughs> yeah. Mike and I are going to get to do this. Go do it. <laughs> All right. Well, until next time, uh, stay curious, explore AI, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thanks again.